0: welcome to Le grave avenue crc's sermon podcast this past sunday we meditated on five aspects of the holy spirit the dove fruit farmer breath disturber of peace and prayer partner you're listening to biblical images of the holy spirit by reverend peter yonker Welcome everyone to our worship service at LaGrave Avenue Christian Reformed Church. Tonight, it's good to see you here at the end of this beautiful summer day. The Spirit is in this place, moving among us, filling our hearts and minds. And today, uh, tonight, we will meditate on the Spirit's work. We will think together about the Holy Spirit. This service will be structured a little differently than our regular evening services. Uh, There'll be five short meditations rather than one big, long sermon. And all of those meditations will meditate on the Holy Spirit, looking at five different images of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. There are many more than five, but tonight we'll look at just five, and each one of them will give us a, a different sense of how the Spirit moves in our lives and who the Spirit is. Our first one is set up by this reading from Matthew Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, the heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. The first image uh, of the Holy Spirit that we will think about tonight is perhaps the most familiar, and that's the dove, and that's an image that you all know it's an image that shows up in this sanctuary, right at the very top, of course, of our great commission window, there's the dove, that's one place where we have the Holy Spirit represented by a dove, and then the other is of course, in the in that middle window in the middle transept of that window, right at the top in the depiction of the the story I just read, Jesus being baptized in the Jordan. As I said, it's a very common image. Maybe the first thing that comes to your mind if you're asked what's an image of the Holy Spirit, you would say the dove. And here's an interesting thing. It's become very popular, but but there's only one place in scripture where the Holy Spirit is compared to a dove. And that's this story. It's the only time the Holy Spirit is taken and compared to a dove, and yet it has taken hold in our imaginations. What do we learn from the Holy Spirit being compared to a dove? Well, first I think it says something about the nature of the Spirit's power. What kind of a creature is a dove? It's a gentle creature. It's a peaceful creature. It's a quiet creature. It reminds me of what some theologians have said about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity. The shy member of the Trinity. And all they mean by that is, of all the the three persons in the Godhead, the Holy Spirit is the one that tends to point away from itself. The Holy Spirit lifts up the glory of the Father. The Holy Spirit lifts up the glory of the Son. The Holy Spirit doesn't draw much attention to itself as a person. It has this sort of quiet deferential strength. It doesn't want the spotlight. It is content with obscurity and the glory of the Father and the Son." The spirit, the dove also suggests, comparing the spirit to the dove also suggests sacrifice. A dove was one of the creatures used in the Hebrew sacrificial system. At the dedication of a child, if you were poor, like Mary and Joseph were, you had the option of offering two doves to dedicate your child. To the Lord, So just like the fact that we compare Jesus to a lamb reminds us of his sacrifice, so comparing the spirit to a dove reminds us that the spirit, when it gets in us, makes us sacrificial people. We're the kind of people who don't exercise a power that dominates or wants to walk over others, but leads with sacrifice and gentleness. Matthew 10 puts this plainly when it says, and this is Jesus, when you go out into the world, be as shrewd as snakes, but as innocent as doves. Not cocky as a rooster, not proud as a peacock, not brash like a blue jay, innocent as doves. That is our spirit. Our next image is the Holy Spirit as a fruit farmer, and that image is found, sort of, in our text from Galatians. I'm going to start reading at Galatians 5, verse 19, and then I'll go all the way to verse 24. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, All those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is the word of the Lord. This is one of the more familiar New Testament passages, and it's also one where we get right into the heart of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit may be the shy member of the Trinity and not draw a lot of attention to itself, but in these words, Paul, as it were, lets us into the spirit of the Spirit shows us what is in the heart of the Holy Spirit. And when we look into the heart of the Spirit and we see the Spirit's character, what do we see? We see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The well-known fruit of the Spirit, that's what's in the heart of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And that's not just what's in the Spirit's heart, That's what the Spirit is building in our heart. The Spirit is a fruit farmer, trying to put those same fruit inside of us, sometimes uprooting, sometimes tilling the soil, sometimes watering, sometimes pruning, but always trying to grow these fruit of the Spirit in us. Now, there are all sorts of things you can say about the fruit of the Spirit. Indeed, I think it was probably five years ago I did a whole sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. So you can say many things. But when you take them together as a whole, and when you take them together in context, one of the interesting things you see is that when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he clearly intends to show that the fruit of the Spirit are for community. All the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit build Community. Build togetherness. Some of them do more than that. Joy. Joy can be personal, but a community needs joy. Self-control. Self-control can be personal, but you also need self-control to build a community together. Most of the spirit are clearly and primarily communal. Love. Kindness and goodness. Those are things we exercise between each other. Patience. You're patient with other people. Peace, peace is something that happens between people. This emphasis on community is particularly strong when you compare the fruits of the spirit, and this is why I read what I read, with the list of vices that come right before it. So many of those vices are things that destroy community, envy, factions, dissension, rage. These are the things that don't help people get along, and the Spirit is particularly coming against those things. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be people of the Spirit, is to be people who love togetherness, love community, who work for peace. The third image for tonight is found in John's Gospel, John 19, this is right after the resurrection of Jesus. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. But if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God, the breath of Jesus. That's a big theme in scripture, a big image, shows up right at the very beginning of scripture, right in Genesis chapter 2. In fact, if you look in the Hebrew, the word for spirit and the word for breath are exactly the same. They're ruach. So both spirit and breath come from the same Hebrew word. And you see the connection In Genesis chapter 2 when God creates human beings, right? He takes the lump of clay out of the ground and he breathes into it and the Spirit of God animates and creates human beings. You see the life-giving power of the Spirit, that same breath and the way it brings life in the book of Ezekiel when Ezekiel sees the valley of dry bones. They're not quite dust again, they're not quite clay, they're just bones though. And the spirit, the wind of the spirit blows on them and they get sinew, they get flesh, they become living things again, they are revived. And in our passage, you see another way, another occasion when the breath of God revives people. The disciples are exhausted. They're dispirited, they're discouraged. They think that everything has fallen apart. Jesus comes into their midst, he shows them that he is alive and he breathes on them. And they receive the Holy Spirit, and they are empowered for a life of service and mission to their Lord. When the Spirit breathes on us, fear becomes boldness, anxiety becomes joy, and mourning gets turned into dancing. And when the Spirit breathes on us, it doesn't always look the same. I was in a wonderful conversation with someone just this morning about this. And it was wonderful for me because it was also the way I felt growing up. I remember looking at people who I considered filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were the people who at young people's conventions or at young people's meetings would be sort of swept away in the joy of the thing, right? They'd be standing up. They'd be raising their hands. They'd show strong emotion. And that wasn't me. And I would think, what's the matter with me? Is the Spirit not Blowing through me, is God's breath not filling me? But now I know, now I am quite certain, that when the wind of the Spirit blows on us, each as individuals, we're all different instruments and a slightly different sound comes out. Some of us, when the Spirit blows on us, we we become animated and we stand up and we become very expressive and emotional. Some of us, when the Spirit blows on us, we start to think. We start to think deeply. Some of us, when the Spirit blows on us, we want to write a piece of music. Some of us, when the Spirit blows on us, we want to call a friend or give someone a hug. Others go into the kitchen and start to bake casseroles. But it's the same Spirit. It's the same wind giving us life. Thanks be to God for the breath of His Spirit next image comes from Mark 1, verses nine through 13. And you'll notice that I'm reading um, the same story, going a little further in Mark, the same story I read in Matthew. And I hope you'll see why I want to read this story twice. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open And the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven You are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and angels attended to him. This is the word of the Lord. So I think if you know the Narnia books, you'll know that in the Narnia books, if you've read any of them, there's a kind of refrain. In the Narnia books, Aslan, of course, is the Christ figure. He's the lion. And he's portrayed as very gentle and very loving. But all the Narnians who love Aslan will always say, be careful, he's not a tame lion. You can say the same thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit may be a dove, but be careful. It's not a tame dove. Don't get too caught up in this talk about gentleness because it is a gentle power that the Spirit brings. And you can see that by what happens in Mark. The Spirit tears open the heavens and comes down and rests on Jesus. And the first movement of the Spirit in Jesus' life is a reassuring one. It's a comforting one. It's a loving one. Through the Spirit, God's voice says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So it's like Jesus is reassured and embraced by this first movement of the Spirit. But the second movement of the Spirit is quite different. Immediately, Jesus is sent out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, our Bible uses the word sent. The word in the Greek is ekbalo. And ekbalo is is pretty strong. It's not just sent, it's pushed, it's tossed, it's cast. When Jesus casts out demons, they use the word ekbalo. Jesus ekbalos demons. So the Holy Spirit chucks Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It is not a gentle word. The Spirit comes and what does Jesus get? Warm fuzzies, inner peace, No, he gets 40 days of confrontation with the evil one. John 16 tells us that Jesus, that the Spirit is our teacher. And it turns out that if the Spirit is our teacher, that it's a tough teacher. The Spirit could be a drill sergeant, a taskmaster. The Spirit will begin by comforting us and affirming us, but it will not end there. The breath of the Spirit may blow in us, but you got to know that sometimes the wind of the Spirit will blow so hard through you that things will be uprooted. And you should expect, when you belong to the Spirit, that things you think you know will be changed. And if you're in a comfortable place, you should expect that you'll be pushed into new areas of service and difficulty for your Lord. You should expect as Romans 8 says, that the Spirit will put to death, put to death what is evil in you. The Spirit is a comforter, but also a disturber of our peace. Thanks be to God. Our final image comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Paul says this, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. So I've prayed a lot of uh, pastoral prayers in my ministry. I tried to count them this week. I think there must be like 1,200 pastoral prayers that I have prayed, and I love uh, doing the pastoral prayers. One of the things I miss doing in the morning and I love doing it at night. But um, praying, especially for a group of people, is always tricky. And when when it says, when Paul says, We do not know what to pray for. I feel that there are many things in life where it's really hard to know what to pray for specifically. We do want to pray specifically, right? We like to pray specifically for needs of the world and needs of people, but it's really hard to do. For example, the school shootings in Uvalde a few weeks back—it's hard to pray for those. On one level. The first part of the prayer is easy, right? You pray for the families of the victims. And you pray for the community. And you pray that these kinds of shootings will never happen again. That that's the easy part. But beyond that, when you start to pray specifically, that's when things get complicated and potentially controversial, right? I mean, you know this. What do I pray for? Do I pray for new gun policy? Do I pray for increased help for the mentally ill? What do I pray for exactly for the Lord to do? The difficulty of this, the difficulty of putting a pastoral prayer together that truly involves everyone and speaks to everyone's hearts and minds, because we're all playing a little differently for Uvaldi when it comes to the specifics, right? That's what's happening. And it points to the truth that we do not know what to pray. When it comes to the big problems of this world and the big problems of our hearts, we do not understand how they happen and we are far from understanding exactly what it will take to fix them. We have our theories. We feel those things strongly. But if we're honest, we do not know what to pray. The Holy Spirit is our prayer partner. And the promise in Romans is, When we do not know what to pray, the Holy Spirit comes beside us. So as when so often happens, something happens in the world in our life and we don't know what to say about it, all we can say is something like, Lord, have mercy, please, Jesus, please, Jesus, please. I don't know what to say. The Spirit takes that and turns it through intercession into a meaningful, comprehensive, perfect prayer before God. And when in our human vanity... We think we know exactly what to pray, and we give God a laundry list of the things exactly that he must do. The Spirit works there too, striking out the things that we are foolish about, adding the things we missed, and interceding before us, editing our prayers, and bringing something perfect into the eyes of the Heavenly Father. The Spirit's work in our prayer is just one other example, one little microcosm, of how salvation works from start to finish. We are children, he is our Lord. We do our best, we think we know, we tell the Father what we want, Father, I want this, and the Father gives us a hug and doesn't always give us what what we want, but he always gives us what we need, and he brings us home. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.